Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. Another turn in the Kyle Beach Chicago Blackhawks saga. And we're going to spend a considerable amount of time on this Thursday edition of the CJ Show talking about it. I'm sure a lot of people in the hockey world have seen the video, have seen the back and forth between Rocky Wirtz, uh, one of the owners for the Chicago Blackhawks, and Mark Lazarus of The Athletic, also Phil Thompson of the Chicago Tribune. Essentially, the finer details are this. Uh, the Chicago Blackhawks held a town hall meeting, basically just to field questions from, well, media personnel were there, obviously, and uh, Mark asked a question about uh, the team with regards to Kyle Beach and how they're going to handle things going forward. And there was a very big pushback between those two. Phil Thompson of the Chicago Tribune tried to follow back with a question of his own. Even more pushback after that. I think much of what happened to Kyle Beach stemmed from a, a power imbalance between a coach and a player and the powerlessness of a player in that situation. So what are the Blackhawks doing? What have the Blackhawks done? What will the Blackhawks do to empower a player in a similar situation to make sure that doesn't happen again? I'm going to answer the question at the end. I think the report speaks for itself. The people that were involved are no longer here. We're not looking back at 2010. We're looking forward. And we're not going to talk about 2010. I'm not talking about 2010. I, I know, and I'm not either. And we're not going to talk about what happened. We're moving forward. That is my answer. Now, what's your next question? I can pick up to what we are doing today. And I think no, I don't know. That's none of your business. That's none of your business. What we're going to do today is our business. I don't think it's any of your business. How is it not my business? Because I don't think it's any of your business. You don't work for the company. If someone in the company asks that question, we'll answer it. And I think you should get on to the next subject. We're not going to talk about Kyle Beach. We're not going to talk about anything that happened. Now we're moving on. What more do I have to say? You want to keep asking the same question? You hear the same answer? Okay, ask the next question. A little mystified here because uh, during the general block briefing, uh, you guys talked about a change in culture and transparency and demonstrating the, the, the new culture and values um, that are going to protect players and protect the organization uh, in the future. And it seems like the, the second that we asked a question about that, um, it, it's, it's met with resistance. So I'm going to ask it again. I answered it. No, I don't. I, I answered it, and I told you to get off the subject. You didn't I'm not tell gonna, me We're not going to bring up the report. No, you I'm read not, it. We're not and, asking and, about the report. We're I know asking you're about talking about what the, what the report the was talking about, and I told you we're we're moving on. Now, we're I don't like these. The I, I think you're out of line to ask this line future. of questions. Why don't you ask about something else? Why don't you ask about the GM? Okay, search? I will ask Why don't you about, do something else? Okay, I Why will do you ask bring about up old, old business? Some of the some of the uh, season ticket holders that I've talked to said that um, they're having trouble maintaining value on their resale because you know a lot of people. Is that paying, a fact? Are you, are you, I, I didn't realize you're in our ticket part, department. Okay. What come I'm on. saying is, well, come on. Could, let's if, talk about all the negative stuff. When I talk about your negative. paper and, how, people, and, what, and what the sports page looks like, should I do that? No, these are dedicated. That you can't fans. even get our elite scores. Whole... Rocky, can I finish my my question? The big quote that obviously stems from the video: "We're not going to talk about Cal Beach. We're not going to talk about 2010. We're moving on." CJ, what were your thoughts when you saw the back and forth between Rocky Wirtz and Chicago media? 
and just all the and pretty pretty much everything else that has been surrounding this incident. Well, I'm stunned that that would be the response. I mean, let's, you know, for the purposes of anyone maybe hasn't looked into this or knows everything about it. This was a town hall where the reporters were invited. So it wasn't a case uh, where those two gentlemen were somewhere they shouldn't be. They didn't like hijack an event. You know, they were in a place where they were invited by the team. I mean, I can't believe those questions or those types of questions weren't anticipated ahead of time. And in light of that, it, it just, it boggles the mind that that would be the response. I mean, you know, any goodwill that we might say or any positive steps that, that the Blackhawks have taken, you know, since this, this whole thing, this whole story broke, you know, obviously they reached a settlement with Kyle Beach. Um, you know, Stan Bowman lost his job, Joe Quenville, Florida lost his job. I mean, there, there was, you know, there was some fallout, I guess, from this, what happened in 2010. It, it all goes away the minute you're saying we're, we've moved on. Like, just because you might have paid some money or whatever, just because there's no active lawsuit as it pertains to Kyle Beach doesn't mean that the public's moved on. It's certainly, like, I don't know how this isn't a question in everything the Blackhawks have. I mean, how do their current draft picks feel? Uh, the parents of those young players. You know, what is has the organization done to ensure that, that something like this couldn't be repeated? I mean, I, I think these are all pretty pertinent questions, pretty obvious questions. And I don't say that as a slight at our colleagues in Chicago asking those questions, but I mean, the fact that that was a response, it's just, it's hard to put your mind around. You said everyone's seen this video. I can tell you, Julian, making my calls today, just around the league on all the issues. Like this is something everyone in the NHL world's talking about. You know, I'm in Las Vegas right now, the all-star weekends about to get up and running. I mean, to some degree, this is at the front, the forefront of that, you know, Gary Bettman's going to speak on Friday to, to reporters here in Vegas. And so, you know, I'm sure that that will be a major talking point then. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big story. It's an unforced error. Like, it's just like, there's no excuse for it. And I know Rocky words did put out a, an apology through the team on Thursday night, but you know, that's nowhere near good enough. When you, when you see the video, when you see how indignant, how strongly he was, I mean, there's other people on the stage, right? His son, Danny, essentially yes. runs a Blackhawks day to day right now. You know, Rocky Wirtz isn't as involved anymore at, at the stage of his career. I mean, he wanted to step in and then Rocky stopped him. Like it's, it's, you know, these sort of changes in organization have to go top down. I think, I mean, obviously sometimes ground up works, but I think you need to have a change culture. You need to have the people at the top buy in. You need to empower those below them to, to address whatever's going on. I'm sure that's what's going to come out of this at some point. I would expect Danny Wirtz will, you know, formulate a response to those questions, but there was no reason for his, his father to, to react the way he did on Thursday. Absolutely. I know from my vantage point in talking to people about this, whether it's uh, reporters at my level or, or just fans of this, a lot of reactions have varied from disgust to basically questions about what the league is going to do with Rocky Wirtz or should Rocky Wirtz step down from his position with the Blackhawks. I'm wondering, because you've also talked to people in, in league circles as well, what have they been saying about it? How have they been reacting to it? Obviously, I'm sure it's 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 not good. It's not good reaction for for the Blackhawks and and for the league as well. But what have they been saying? What are they calling for? What are they? What are you? What are you hearing? Well, what I can tell you is, as of Thursday afternoon, uh, when we're recording this, the feeling is that he's not going to step down um, from his position as the chairman of the Blackhawks. You know, I, I think the, the the thinking there, and I'm just repeating what I've been told as opposed to I'm not saying I'm advocating this point is that because he's sort of handed over control of the team to his son, Danny, he's not really that involved that 
you know, there's almost nothing to step down from, you know, whether or not the NHL has any further repercussions, that, that that's an open question. I think that's something we probably won't learn until Gary Bettman addresses the issue publicly on Friday. Um, you know, but remember the Blackhawks were fined $2,000, million, pardon me, um, after the, the, the Block and Jenner report was completed. Um, you know, that same report absolved Rocky Wirtz of, of having any, you know, knowledge at the time of what was going on uh, with Brad Aldrich, the, the video coach, and, and Kyle Beach, and, and sort of the cover-up, if you want, or the lack of action that followed it from the organization. Um, but, you know, in this case, perhaps a fine or something else could be coming from the NHL. I think some of it, quite frankly, will be tied to how how long the story persists. Who, who is calling for what? You know, I saw Sheldon Kennedy, for example, you know, had a pretty strong tweet about, um, you know, what happened here and how this is what paralyzes these organizations. Someone you know, in Rocky Wirtz, who has the power he does, you know, basically shouting everyone else down. Um, you know, Sheldon Kennedy, remember, got hired by the NHL. Like He's part of some of their initiatives. And so, you know, it'll be interesting to see, I guess, as the league maybe take stock from some of those, you know, stakeholders, you know, if there's any further action taken. But, you know, as of, you know, almost 24 hours after this action happened, you know, the expectation is that he won't step down from his, his role with the Blackhawks. So then I wonder if that means that the apology that Rocky put out hours after the dust up is sufficient. I mean, from my vantage point, I don't know if it is, but I wonder if the NHL or other Chicago fans may deem it as such. Right. Look, there's, there's real consequences here too. Like Blackhawks image um, is tarnished through this. I mean, there's no other way around it. You know, I think we spoke of it at the time, you know, when Kyle Beach did the interview with Rick Westhead, just, Seeing how powerful it is, it's hard to watch that and then look back on their Stanley Cup winning team in quite the same way. And, you know, the fact that they, they went through that whole process, you know, it seemed like they were trying to address issues. It, you know, obviously they reached a settlement that with John Doe 2 and Kyle Beach in separate lawsuits. You know, there was a path to move forward there, right? The path, of course, is, is acknowledging openly what has gone wrong, talking openly about what steps you've taken to, to make sure it's not repeated. And so now we're months on down the road and, and it's just like, well, what was the point of that? Like he, he thinks we're all just supposed to forget about it. Like the people that buy tickets haven't forgotten about it. Obviously the, the media members like ourselves that cover the game are still talking about it. You know, the commissioner is going to be asked about it. You know, this is a, it's a huge step back. I think it really is a huge step back for anything that they were trying to do as an organization to say that this was something in the past and we're going to move forward. I mean, now, now they've got more work to do there. And I, you know, I hope that there's some real soul searching because, you know, at the end of the day, it's not just what you say, right? It's what, what you do. It's what you feel. And, and it's pretty clear how Rocky Wirtz views that entire sort of segment of his team's history, which he was a part of, how that, that incident went down. I mean, I didn't see a lot of remorse in that answer, if you know what I'm saying. I didn't see a lot of soul searching that had been done. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult it's a difficult thing for the league to handle, I think, in some ways. Um, but that being said, remember the league put out a sort of a code of conduct type of uh, memo earlier in the year. I think it was late October. And to paraphrase a long memo, it said, basically, you got to keep your own houses in order. Like, like every organization is responsible for what's happening behind closed doors at that organization. Like, the league can't possibly know everything going on inside 32 teams' front offices and dressing rooms at any given moment. And, and I read that as putting a lot of onus on teams to take care of these issues to address them properly. And if they don't, of course, the league can take some action. And so that's, that's kind of where we're at with the Blackhawks right now. I think it's just, is there any further action that's coming from the NHL? 
um, because, you know, as I say, I don't get the sense that, that Rocky Wirtz, other than his apology, intends to act in any other way. Yeah, and I don't get the sense that the organization really learned anything from what happened. We were all devastated when we heard Kyle Beach speak to Rick Westhead and, and the findings of the of the Block and Jenner report came out. And obviously, yes, there were people from Chicago who lost their jobs because of their roles and what happened with that team. But that non that that response from Rocky Wirtz just kind of made me you know what Steve Dangle had it right. Steve Dangle put out a tweet saying it wasn't about accountability. It was about covering it up. And that just reads to me like Chicago, after everything that went on and all of the pushback and the blowback that they endured as a result of Kyle Beach stepping up and telling his story, they're all about just covering this up and just hoping that people forget about it and go right back to just watching games and acting like nothing happened. But I'm sorry, we're not going to do that. I, I, I absolutely refuse on my part in, in my small role in, in the hockey world. And I know you don't, you feel, I know you feel the same way too. And other hockey members as well uh, have, we'll, we'll not let this be forgotten. And I, I don't know what world Rocky words thinks he's living in where people are just going to not ask him questions about that. How do you have a town hall and not expect questions to be asked about that when this is like one of the first times you've had a media availability since the report came out since you were fined two million dollars it's the first time he's taking questions like he it's tone deaf yeah there's prepared statements before but nothing you know the other thing i caution you there though and and it's just a small point of clarification i bet there's i think there's a lot of people in that organization that that have learned from this or don't believe in this it's it's this is this is the setback as he has the most powerful voice, arguably, in the organization. Though. He's, he's the mm-hmm. one signing the checks. He's at the top of the food chain. But that doesn't mean that there aren't a lot of people below him that, that do want to see some changes that, that, you know, maybe they've even done some things like this is an opportunity for him. It's actually a great PR opportunity to speak to some of the things they might have addressed and, and some of the changes they're contemplating and to talk about their process and how they've they've gone on from that. And, and you know, so. When we just when we're saying the organization broadly, like a lot of people make up an organization. The problem here is it's the person at the top of the organization that hasn't learned, uh, or and certainly doesn't seem just wants to move past it, and we can't talk about it. Blah 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 blah. But you know, I, I know there are people that work for the the, the team that, that don't feel that way, and and hopefully now their voices can be heard a little bit, like internally. I don't mean that they have to come out and do a press conference, but mm-hmm. you know, hopefully, you know, I'm always like looking for the good that can come from the bad, right? But like, it's hard to. It was hard to watch that. It's hard to imagine an original six team that's won three Stanley Cups in the last, you know, 12 years, whatever it is, already being this low again. Like, you know, the Blackhawks, they're, they're not on the radar the way they once were. And I think that this is more critical maybe than they believe that they, you know, I think the sport needs a lot more, man. And the business of the sport needs a lot more given to it. And, and you know, the Blackhawks really should should rethink their positioning here. They should rethink their positioning and they may need to basically kind of not reboot the franchise, but I I still think that in light of everything that is going on, there's no better time to consider just changing the way that they look. And I am talking about the logo here then if not now, like relatively soon, I, I still think this is an opportunity for them to show that they are willing to, you know, change for the better. And, and you do bring up a good point there. I'm sure there are people in the organization who want to change and be better but when the guy at the top is is saying what he's saying, 
I'm sorry, but he's arguably one of the biggest representatives, not the biggest representative of the, of the organization. It's it's kind of hard to not distance those two. So he does it does make it easy to kind of blanket, I guess, the statement that I made over the entire team. But you are right. There are people who want changes to be made, and I'm sure they exist within that organization. It just does not look good. And they're going to have to do a lot of soul searching and a lot of changing uh, uh, in order for them to kind of really take that step and feel as if they've really moved on, not as if what they were trying to do uh, at the town hall that we saw on 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 Wednesday evening. Uh, it, it just doesn't look good, CJ. It really just doesn't look good at all. It doesn't. And that, that's where the calls for maybe people wanting to see him step down is that that would be a tangible step of action, right? Um, as I say, I don't have any reason to believe that's going to happen, but I can see where that view is out there that, that was important. You know, Sean McIndoe, who does writing for The Athletic, who's always funny and right on point. Like, mm-hmm. I love the tweet where he said, like, you, you know, he's saying they don't want to talk about 2010. Like, a week after they hired Marion Hosa and Patrick Sharp to be part of a search for a GM. And, you know, this isn't really being broken down here, but you have to wonder. I mean, look, there's there's only 32 GM jobs, so obviously someone you – know, you'll find someone who will take anyone that, that he or she can get their hands on. But, you know, I just wonder – especially when it comes to maybe some of the top candidates or those that feel that they have a, a line on another job, you know, how, like, you want to go work for these people right now? Um, you know, I wouldn't. And so anyway, yeah, it's, it's, it's brutal, man. You mentioned PR. I, I, I mean, I, I should double check this for myself. Remember there was like a vacancy in there for, for a job in the PR department. I, I wouldn't surprise you if it was still vacant. I, I don't know if I would if if I was desperate for a hockey job, I don't know if I'd go work at that organization right now. Nope. I'm sorry, I wouldn't. Right. There's but no, I'm just saying no. someone will, but I, I actually think it diminishes their pool. Like there there have to be candidates out there that are at least thinking twice, if not outright, just saying, you know what, this isn't I don't want to step into that position. And like, look, it should be considered one of the better jobs you could have in hockey because you're with an original six franchise, one with a great history. You know, it's in a great city like Chicago. You know, there's there's a lot to like there, but I just think that there's there's a stench coming from from the organization still. Absolutely. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, a piece of news that dropped on Thursday from your colleague at TSN, Rick Westhead. Uh, I will put a uh, I guess a trigger warning here for sexual assault uh, because uh, more lawsuits have been uh, put out towards Brad Aldrich, who we all know was the former video coach who uh, was essentially convicted to a sex offender for what he had done to Cal Beach as a member of the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, a former student of the University of Miami at Ohio is among those in the lawsuit, and he claims he was assaulted by Aldrich in October 2012, who, and uh, also says that uh, Aldrich used Blackhawks na- players' names and the Olympic silver medal and the cup ring for grooming purposes. The uh, John Doe three, as they're being referred to as, tried to report the assault to Miami U police and to police in Oxford, Ohio, but to no avail. Uh, also, another note here, Aldrich says the Blackhawks recommended he work with the University of Miami in Ohio because of work they had done with the You Can Play program set up by Brendan Burke. There's not too much we can really add to that, but I do want to mention that that being out there, just kind of wild in the fact that the Chicago Blackhawks are, are dealing with the fallback of Rocky Wirtz on Wednesday. And then this happens. This is obviously a story that we're going to continue to follow and we're going to continue to uh, put a light on here. And I, I'm, I wonder if Gary Bettman's also going to be asked about this as well on Friday. 
I'm sure he will. You know, the problem is with it being pending litigation, you know, there's probably not a whole lot he can say just because that's still, you know, be worked out in the courts. But, you know, the, look, and, and we're at the league's all-star game. I mean, this is meant to be a fun event. It's meant to be a showcase of the best, most talented players. Um, you know, it's really meant to be a light event, quite frankly. It usually is. You know, I've been to a number of all-star games over the years. You know, it's nothing for anyone to take too seriously. Just have a few laughs and, and take a break during the season. And, and you know, now all this comes up right again, just as, you know, it's supposed to be a showcase. And, and I do think that it's going to be showcasing aspects of the sport um, that, that the league would prefer we were. Absolutely. Uh, but through platforms like this, the platforms that we have, we're going to have to keep the league's feet to the fire on this because this is just a story that, should not go away. I feel there is a lot that still needs to be uncovered. And I, I can understand why a lot of fans may feel angry, especially a lot of Chicago Blackhawks fans right now feeling angry about the reaction from Rocky Words. I'm with you. A lot of the goodwill that may have been kind of built up over the years, it's all gone. And they're going to have to go through a lot. Of, at least Rocky Works should be able to go through a lot of soul searching uh, and, and just kind of, you know, really look at himself and really think about what he said. Uh, the last thing I'll say is uh, you're right. I think it was Danny who I, I think tried to uh, answer the question from Mark, but then Rocky kind of cut him off. I am still curious about what he would have actually said in that moment. And I imagine even if, and Mark made the point on Twitter, I think that uh, if he said something now, he might get drowned out, but I am genuinely curious as to what he would have said in that moment, if he wasn't cut off by Rocky. And I hope that, uh, I hope that Mark or someone else in Chicago kind of follows up with him and, and asks that question too, because I, I do think that uh, Chicago at the very least, uh, they should still explain what they're going to be doing uh, in light of everything that's happened with the Kyle Beach affair. Yeah. And look, Danny Wirtz came up to Mark Lazarus after the press conference and said he has a lot to say on that issue and that he will be soon. So, um, you know, he addressed that right in the moment, essentially. Um, it's close to the moment that he obviously didn't over, showed over his father on the stage, but he, but he pretty quickly went to Mark and, and at least delivered that. So, you know, he's, he's the one running the team now really day to day. And so mm-hmm. what he says is also very important coming forward. And, and I do think this will force that to, to become public pretty soon. CJ, uh, this is not an easy turn to do. I know the first topics that we started on the show were very heavy, uh, we do intend on talking about other things around the NHL world. It has been busy over the last few days. You are in Las Vegas. Uh, one thing I realized, though, with the topics I did write down, um, there's a lot. And there's a lot to get to. And I imagine if we go in deep on all of them the way we would, this would turn into like a 90-minute show or a two-hour show. And we know how certain people at SDPN feel about shows extending long. So uh, I, I decided Wild Park could handle that. Yeah. Jeez. Are you kidding me? The fact he's got to add a, this other, he's got uh knocking cacks on the show too. He's got to worry about their time limits. Uh, Game over international is doing their thing for the Olympics too. Uh, yeah. It, it's, it's, he's got to watch out for all these time limits. So my way of combating that is to bring back the grab bag. Uh, still not properly decorated. Still just a is that like brown your Uber paper bag. bag from last night or what? Like someone delivered you know some food in that. You know what's funny? I don't remember what this bag was for. It was just kind of around. And I just said, okay, I need a bag. And this just kind of had to make do. But uh, I wrote some topics. I put them in the bag. Uh, Just give me your general thoughts on them as I pick them. Uh, Here's some noise for everybody. 
uh, and uh, let's see what's the first topic that comes up here. All right. What do you know about Pat Verbeek, the newest general manager of the Anaheim Ducks? That was announced uh, today, Thursday. I, uh, what I know about him is that he spent a long time working with Steve Eisenman. Uh, and, you know, that's been a pretty good education. Um, you know, a long time with the Tampa Bay Lightning organization. And, you know, he was part of the front office there that a key part of the front office there that, that really turned that organization into what it is today. You know, Julian Breezebois has got his name on the cup, but Steve Eisenman's handprints were all over that cup in terms of, you know, building the Lightning organization to a position where they could win it. You know, he's more recently been went back to Detroit with Eisenman. And, you know, this is this is what we would call a traditional GM hire. You know, a, a longtime player who transitioned to a new long career in the front office and, you know, did an excellent job from what I've been told on his, his interview to, to, you know, come out as, as the, the winner in Anaheim. And, you know, this is an interesting job, right? Because, you know, it's, it's quite different than, say, like Kent Hughes in Montreal taking over the 32nd place team in the league. You know, Anaheim's having an unexpectedly strong season. You know, they've kind of, I don't know if they're fully through their rebuild, but they're certainly at the late stages of what we would call the rebuild. You know, the last couple of years have been hard, but, you know, they've, they've drafted some good young players and they're starting to see the fruits of that labor. They got Mason McTavish coming soon. He's over right now in Beijing playing for team Canada at the Olympics. But, you know, there's, there's, there's a pipeline that's been built up and there's already some, some on ice success. And so, you know, it's, it's, he's not coming usually in these, especially if you're getting hired mid season, you're usually coming in for the teardown quite honestly. Like that's, that's typically the circumstances here. Now I remember Bob Murray, his predecessor stepped aside, uh, acknowledged a, a drinking issue at the time. And, and so, you know, it's little different circumstances to take that job. And so you know, I think that, that Pat's experience for so long, I think it was 12 years he worked alongside Eiserman, um, you know, is going to serve him well. And, you know, they were looking at sort of different candidates, I guess those that haven't um, maybe we're not the top of the list. Although they did also interview Jason Botterill, you know, who was a GM in, in Buffalo and currently the assistant GM in Seattle um, on the, it's part of this process. So, you know, I, I think that there's some really intriguing, quick decisions Verbeek's got to make, Julian. He's got three pretty notable UFAs in Hampus Lindholm, Josh Manson, and Ricard Raquel. Uh, he's got a team that's right at the playoff marker, basically, you know, right flirting, certainly in the playoff race. And, he, you know, he's got to figure out, does he resign those players? Is he trading them for future assets? Because this is a rebuild still. Is he maybe acquiring guys at the deadline? Like, it's he's going to hit the treadmill with it already on, like, set to six miles an hour or whatever. Like, he's... He's jumping on and going into, you know, he's got to he's got to get his legs pumping. Uh, so it'll be an interesting. I think it's an interesting hire, and I think it'll be a busy first few months for for Beak on the job there. Also, his nickname was the Little Ball of Hate. Do I have that right? You do have that right. Yeah. He's, yeah. I don't know him well personally, but I think that that tells you maybe about his personality on the ice back in the day. Okay. Um, the next one I just pulled up here, uh, we talked about this topic uh, earlier this week, and then people got mad at us at our clickbait title of Austin going to Arizona, which we don't necessarily think is going to happen, but whatever. NHL execs are not happy with Arizona's proposal to play at Arizona State University. What have you heard about it from others in the league? I think it's the players themselves that should be most upset, and not because the rink is going to be poor or anything, but, you know, Players and owners share in hockey-related revenue, it's called. Money that's made off of hockey games, like selling tickets and popcorn and beer and parking spots and everything that goes around it. And what, you know, the, the Coyotes aren't going to be able to do at Arizona State University is sell as many of those things because it, it doesn't have the inventory. It is only 5,000 seats. I believe there's 16 uh, boxes, whereas, you know, some arenas have between like 40 and 80. 
boxes, you know, for, for companies and, and hosting there. And, right. and, you know, those are sort of premium opportunities to, to make money as an organization. And so, you know, what it's going to do, I understand why they're doing it from the Coyotes perspective. Like the plan they have for Tempe, if they can get it through, is outstanding. I've actually seen some of what's proposed there in terms of, uh, you know, a whole area around the arena that would be developed with, with restaurants and, and shops and, you know, like condos and things like where people would want to live. Like it's really pretty impressive. It's, it's Tempe is close to downtown Phoenix. It's in a better location than where they've been playing since 2003. You know, I think it would be a lifeline if they could get that arena built and it's an if still at this point, I think it, we could probably once and for all end the discussion of uh, their, their future there, or at least for a good amount of time. Uh, because I do think it would give them a lot of chances to, to make money. But anyway, the short term is not that short. It's three to four years they're looking at playing at Arizona State University. And so, yeah, there's there's other people sort of snickering about the idea. So 10,000 seats less than you have in Winnipeg, which is the smallest arena currently right now. And so it's, it's, it's significant. Like that is going to be lost revenue. There's no way around it. Now, there's not a lot of other opportunities or places for them to play. Um, you know, as you'd imagine in most cities, there's not like multiple 20,000 seat venues in too many cities. I mean, sure, in New York or something, you, you find that. But, you know, it's 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 not easy to move a home within the same city if you're not building it. And so, um, you know, the Coyotes are in a spot and I think it's it's the players that should probably be most upset because they don't they actually if you look at the CBA, they don't really have there's not much recourse the union can have. I mean, the, the, the players that think about this stuff can complain and sure it'll be raised privately as an issue, but there's not publicly all that much they can do. And so less money into the league is less money on the paychecks of, of the guys who play the game. That is true. You mentioned the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, this is just more of a mental note for myself. Uh, between the next episode that we do or the one after, we got to find time to talk about the Jets because it feels as if they've been in free fall mode for the last little while. It's, it's a bit wild. Yeah. And, you know, Mark Shipley, I see he's taking a lot of heat in that market and, and, you know, struggling with his play right now. And so you're right. Let's uh, let's dig in there uh, maybe on Monday. Absolutely. All right. This next one, uh, you mentioned Kent Hughes earlier. Kent Hughes recently discussed his vision for the Montreal Canadiens with a few outlets. I know La Presse has talked to him and uh, The Athletic has talked to him as well. Uh, of some of the players who have been rumored uh, to be on their way out, guys like Jeff Petrie uh, or, or Ben Sherratt, who do you actually see leaving uh, ahead of the trade deadline? Sherratt, 100%. You know, there's significant interest in him. Um already in the marketplace. I think that you, you'll see the Canadians get something like the David Savard return for him, which I believe was a first and a fourth round pick, I want to say. But anyway, it was more than a first. It was what Columbus got from Tampa. Uh, you know, as part of that deal, he only makes three and a half million on the cap, which is less than some of the other defensemen out there. The Canadians are willing to eat 50% of the contract. So that makes him, you know, for contenders that are having cap uh, gymnastics to perform, to, to bring in anyone, you know, I think that that's a big positive for them. You know, Petrie is an interesting case. Like at this point, I don't get the sense he's asked for a trade, but I do think he's open to a trade. And, you know, he, he's got a couple years left on his deal, a little over $6 million. So it's a, a difficult contract in the sense that, that his play this year has really been off. Like something, he was a borderline Norris candidate last year, honestly. And, and, and this year, nothing's working. And, and, you know, some scouts I've spoken to, you know, actually think it's just kind of the situation has run its course in Montreal, that, that some of it is just, everything going on with the team. I mean, I, I've said this to you, I think, before, but, like, the Canadians obviously made some bad personnel moves in the summer, but a lot's gone wrong to put them in this situation, too, to be this far down the standings, to have this few wins. And that takes a toll on a veteran player, right? Like, Jeff Petrie, is, he knows he's on the back nine in terms of how many years he's got left to play. He played in a Stanley Cup final in June and July 
And all of a sudden now he's on a last place team. And so, you know, I do think that whoever gets him will get a good player, even though the results haven't been there for him this season. And I do expect him to be moved as well by the deadline. It's, it's a trickier trade because you're talking about multiple years on the contract. You know, I think the Sherratt deal is pretty straightforward. I mean, essentially the Canadians are just holding an auction for him. Like just, just hold on him and wait and see what, you know, there's a number of contending teams are interested in, in trading for him and, and just see where the, the price ends up. Um, there might be a bit more nuance to a Petrie trade uh, that has to go on, but I think both of those guys are, are prime candidates to be moved by the 21st of March. And, you know, some of the other decisions, because there are other veteran players, you know, I, I could see those coming a little later on, but, but those are the two most likely to be moved in my eyes now. Okay. March 21st is the trade deadline. March 24th is when Canada, I believe, in the World Cup qualifying match against Costa Rica can clinch their spot in the 2022 World Cup. I believe that's in the same week, so that could be a pretty substantial week for sports fans. Uh, Let's get to this next one here. Oh, okay. Have you decided what prop bets we're going to put together so you can bet on behalf of us both? I think we kind of joked about that in the last podcast. I know, and I didn't deliver. I threw it out there on the pod, and I haven't like gone down to the sports book and like gotten the. You have time. You have time. Right, but I'm saying I haven't committed right now to answer it on this question. Like, what we're gonna go? Like, what what are you feeling? Here's something about that question. I I, I anticipated you might have been a little busy, so I thought of a few at least. Uh, I think we should put down a bet that the Canadians are gonna win at least two consecutive games between now and the end of the season it has not happened yet but i think it's going to happen now um, that won't be a prop bet though like they, I, i'd have to find a casino willing to take that okay fine I what about uh, like a cup champion or something like something a little more okay. boring like who do you think like would you pick like a florida or a carolina like you know florida's at the top uh, of the table. you know like those are teams man. we haven't seen you know get to that level before <sighs> put my money on colorado then Put it on Colorado. Put it that that's my bet. I make Colorado's winning it. Put it, put the money in. Put the money in. Put it in. I don't know how much money it costs. I don't, I don't bet, as you know. Just just do that. All right. They'll be the favorite, I would guess, but let's do that. Look, okay let's to bet the favorite as long as you bet the winner. At the very least. Okay. Well, I'm gonna pick another one here as I think whether or not picking Colorado to bet is actually a good idea. Is that too boring? Should I pick Florida instead? I might call an audible when I get to the booth. Yeah. I want to see what the, I want to see what the odds are. Cause I don't, I haven't got the sheet. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll hit you up in the group text. We'll share it on Monday. I'll bring the ticket out. We'll have another prop. Yeah. Um, cause, cause again, I don't bet. So like I'm, I, I would be a very boring bet person. And like, obviously I don't want to like lose. I I'm all about taking high percentage shots. Right. I want to have something fun though. Like when it comes to the playoffs and if we got a team and they're like planned, you know, like it's just something to root for, you know? Oh, well, I guess betting for the Leafs to win in round one is too predictable. Maybe we bet the Leafs to win the cup. Is that going to have a reverse jinx? Is that like the juggernaut or no? (laughs) Do you want that on yourself? No, I don't. (laughs) I don't think you want that at all, my brother. Um, no. Here's this next one. Um, I might play someone they, fun, though, like Carolina. I like I like sort of like the, the bit of an underdog kind of team, right? They were my yeah, Buffalo Bills of the NHL when we got that question and asked CJ that recently. So That's true, but we all know what happened to the Buffalo Bills this year in the playoffs, so let's let's be mindful of that, too. Maybe they, I don't know if they lose like 7-6 in Game 7 or something, and maybe they don't touch the puck in overtime. Um, yeah. Here's this next one. Pretty short and sweet. 
What's Vegas like? It's not very warm right now. That was a surprise. It was like five degrees Celsius, like in the thirties, uh, Fahrenheit. Um, it's a fun place. Like, this is the weird thing for me. Like I've probably been here, no exaggeration, 25 to 30 times, but I've only ever once been here for, for just for fun, for pleasure, for a trip with, and I was with my friends, like when I was 20, like a long time ago. And so I, I come here quite often, but it's to cover a gold Knights game or to go to the NHL awards. You know, we had an expansion draft here. I was down for us to cover the Stanley cup final here when Washington played the, you know, I, I've been a regular visitor, but I'm always working. So I never get to see the full Vegas. Cause like, I'm not like, first of all, I'm not going to like nightclubs and stuff anyway. Um, and often, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm up here in my room recording this. I, you know, I'm not kind of going all in on the Vegas, but it's, it's a very disorienting place to be when you're working. Cause it's really easy to just like walk downstairs into the lobby and see the casino. And just like, you're just like looking at lights and people and you're seeing crazy stuff going on. And like, it's, it can be hard. Um, it can, it can be hard to um, focus, I guess, on the work part. So I'm trying to stay focused. I didn't get into any trouble on my first night here. So thank God. Yeah, you thank know, my, my voice thank is intact. Everything's fine. Thank God. I, Cause honestly, like I, I was like putting out ideas for, for CJ show and I didn't really hear that much for you. I started to get worried about you a little bit. Yeah. Well, I was a good. I, I've been good so far, but it's still early, man. Like it's, I got, I got a couple more nights here and I haven't seen any of my media pals or anything. So. Okay. I, I think I've emptied out the grab bag. I have one final question for you. Uh, yeah. What do you think about the world juniors? Most likely according to IIHF president, Luke Tardif, being in August. I like that the players are getting a chance to do that. Honestly, it's for a lot of them. It's, it's a one and done event because it's an under 20 tournament. And they're only good enough to make it when they're 19 or, or about to turn 20. So I, I like that, that they were getting another shot at it. I think there's going to be some complications there. I mean, that's pretty close to when some of the top prospects will be reporting to NHL teams for training camp. So I don't know if all the top players will want to go, will be allowed to go. Like, I'm not sure how the teams will view that. So logistically, it, it comes with challenges. But I think all those challenges, even if you end up with maybe not a true, maybe if it's a bit more of a watered down event, I say so be it because – you know, the, those guys all went to, you know, Red Deer and Edmonton and they were there and they, they played exhibition games and played a game or two, depending on the team. And like they, they, they had that kind of stolen from them. And, and I still think people will rally behind it. Uh, I, I'll watch a good sporting event any time of year, any time of day. So I think it'll still get a fair amount of hype. Not won't be the same as the sort of a Christmas holiday season, just because usually no one's working. And, you know, what else are you doing? The weather's crap. So you, you just watch world juniors all day, but you know, I, I think it's great for the, the kids that they're, they're going to get a chance to play at the very least. I'm also like August is like, like the dead month for like hockey stuff. Like I, I, I wonder like, is that going to work to their advantage? Like, Oh, like nothing normally happens in August. Like we've already gone through the beat, the, the big hoopla free agency, the draft is done. Like, I wonder if it's going to work to their advantage to actually have it in a month where what you're going to be in the middle of, of the MLB season. A lot of people are already going on vacation anyway. How much? The world's else? upside down, though, man. Like we had a Stanley Cup handed out in September 2020, right? And and the bubble opened in August. And, you know, I know that we're getting back to something like normalcy, but I think we've become used to it, right? Like the golf majors are all played at weird times, and you know, however you used to sort of, I, I, because I'm such a sports fan. Like even in addition to my job, like I just watch a lot of sports. 
when I have time, like I, I, it's almost like my, it was like my body clock was just knowing like, Oh, it's Wimbledon now or whatever. And, and everything got jumbled around. So yeah, it's going to feel a little bit strange, but I think having gone through what we've seen in the last two years, it, it won't be quite as jarring as, as it would have been if you told me this, you know, in, in February of, of 2020. That's a very fair point. That's going to do it for the grab bag. And now it is time for stick taps. It is the segment we do every Thursday where we show someone in the hockey world, a little bit of love. CJ, do you want to start or should I start? Yeah, I'll start with Mark Lazarus. You know, Mark's a guy I know professionally pretty well over the years. We've both been covering the NHL a while. And, you know, I got to say, I I have no illusions about the job we do. Like, I understand we cover the toy department is the old nickname, right? Like, I understand that it's not all serious. And and I thought he handled a serious topic well. I thought he handled the pushback from Rocky Wirtz well. He stood in there, he asked followed-up questions, didn't get too emotional despite the emotion kind of of that moment. And it's easy to pick on reporters and, and some of it's earned, frankly. Like, honestly, I get it from fans and stuff, but like, I think he deserves props for, you know, for doing his job and doing it well and being a professional and handling that as well as you could. So great job, Mark. Absolutely. Great job to you, Mark. Uh, I'll also extend the stick tap over to Phil Thompson as well. And for Rick Westhead for his continuing reporting on uh, Brad Aldrich and and Kyle Beach and the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, My stick tap, and I'll bring up the mini stick for this one, goes to Danielle Goyette, a Hockey Hall of Famer in the Toronto Maple Leafs organization who uh, had to step up when uh, one of the Newfoundland, Newfoundland growlers of ECHL affiliated with the Toronto Maple Leafs, one of their coaches, uh, I believe, in COVID-19 protocol. So that means Goyette had to step in as an assistant coach, and it looks as if she'll be doing that uh, through to the end of the weekend uh, for a select few games with the organization. And I believe that makes her the first female coaching staff member, reading off the athletic uh, article on this, the first female coaching staff member to take the bench for an ECHL game. Uh, this is according to the Rowlers, but uh, hockey history being made on account of a hockey hall of famer stepping in uh, for another coach in COVID protocol. So congratulations to Danielle for this opportunity. And uh, this sounds pretty exciting. So uh, a stick tap to a hockey hall of famer, Canadian international legend, Danielle Goyette. And look, man, there's a great Ernest Hemingway quote. I think it's from the sun also rises gradually, then suddenly gradually, then suddenly I feel like, this is going to not be something we were going to have to stick tap because it's going to become so much more normal. Remember Emily Caston Gay, Rachel Dory, hired in Vancouver. We're seeing female officials at the American Hockey League level. I think it's only a matter of time for them they're in the NHL and, you know, doors are being opened and, and glass ceilings are being smashed. Absolutely. And uh, that's going to do it for the Thursday edition of the CJ show. We will be back on Monday. Get your questions in now. Uh, whether on Twitter with the hashtag AskCJ or in our Discord. You can join at sdpn.ca and join the Discord link from there. Uh, Get your questions in that we will try to get to on AskCJ on Monday. Subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts if you haven't already subscribed. And also check out some of the other great shows we have at SDPN. Agent Provocateur has a brand new episode. Jonathan Huberto is the special guest with Adam Wilde and Alan Walsh. Noxian Cax also has a brand new podcast as well. And on Friday, of course, the Steve Dangle podcast will have a brand new episode as well. And I believe they're doing a live stream for uh, some of the All-Star Game festivities on Friday evening. So I think it's going to be the SDP boys just hanging out on Twitch. So be 
Uh, so watch that. I'll, I'll try to hop in on the Twitch and create like a Twitch account or something. That'd be that'd be fun to do. I, I don't know. Uh, do you have Twitch? No. No. You know I mean? And also, you're going to be at those games. So like, why Why would, would you watch interesting people it, though. Like, I love seeing the yeah. Alfonso Davies Twitch. You know, like I've been loving him watching his team. Like that's, it's cool, but it's, I haven't, uh, I haven't explored that or started one of those. That's okay. Well, uh, we're still waiting for you to to join the fracas on, uh, on discord. Yeah. I've Unless been silent it, on that. That's okay. I, I figured you, I figured you got like scared off or something. Cause like those people could wild out a little bit. Start talking about pickles and stuff. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do in the discord room. That's, that's the. Dude, dude, honestly, all you have to do is just like, be there be like hey and then everyone's just gonna lose their mind like you're popping enough that like if you just show up people are just gonna be like oh my god or like hop in one of like the voice chats and just be like hey guys what's everyone doing and then everyone just like loses their shit it's crazy Trust you know me. what i'm about, i'm in a couple hours time i'm about to do my first twitter spaces Ooh, um, okay taking questions uh, through my north star bets toronto star affiliation uh, they're they're we're trying this thing out so i think there's gonna be questions in there I love that. I actually love this stuff. Like it connects you to the audience better and, and it gives, you know, it, it's very useful. It's just, it's hard to know. It's hard to know what's where to put your energy or what's what the winners are, what, what's going to last, you know? You just have to try things out, see how people respond and then kind of go from there. But uh, yeah, Twitter spaces, we should have plugged that from jump. Uh, but uh, yeah, man, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be listening to that Twitter space. If uh, this podcast hasn't already come out after the Twitter space, that being said, uh, of course, big shout out to North star bets and uh, also be, be on the lookout for whenever CJ has the inside the NHL column, which can be read at the Toronto star and subscribe to the athletic because it's just a cool thing to do for CJ. I'm Julian saying so long and peace. Enjoy uh, Las Vegas this weekend and enjoy the NHL all-star game. The Chris Johnson show. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter, at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie, at JK McKenzie.